Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Wednesday, the 28th of July. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. What a delight to be with you today. All right, so a couple of quick headlines here. USA Gymnastics phenom Simone Biles uh, experienced what pilots call aerial disorientation. She literally, like, lost herself midway through her vault at the Olympics. Um, She realized that uh, she was not only putting herself at very real risk, I mean, imagine being a pilot and not having a sense of where the horizon is. That's what she experienced mid-vault. And so she withdrew from the team competition. Now, some have regarded that as her having, like, abandoned her team, but actually she preserved her team's opportunity to win silver. And so uh, she has been replaced by Jade Carey from Phoenix, Arizona. And so let's just be rooting on. Uh, Team USA in not only the Olympic gymnastics competition, but every other competition at the Olympics going on right now. Once in a lifetime opportunity for many of these athletes, certainly an unexpected uh, opportunity for Jade Carey today. There's a number of headlines uh, today related to COVID, including new CDC recommendations that everyone, including those who are fully vaccinated, resume wearing masks indoors. Um As the Delta variant surges among America's unvaccinated population, the Biden administration is expected to announce today vaccine mandates for most federal employees. Remember, the federal government is the largest employer in the United States of America. So you're talking about some eight million people who would be affected um, should the federal government make vaccines a mandate for work. Now, I think this is only likely to further fuel what is already a very heated debate across the country and a heated debate here among uh, listeners to this program who often text in anytime I say the word vaccine, even though you will note I have not advocated either way during the sharing of this news headline. Uh, all right. Where in the word are you today? I am in the book of Romans. And I thought that if you hadn't been reminded lately of the bookend verses uh, that speak of the grace and peace of God in the book of Romans, I thought I'd just lift those two up today. Romans 1, 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the other bookend, Romans 15, 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. All right, next up, we're going to talk with George Barna about the top 10 most seductive unbiblical ideas embraced by Americans. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Whatever you do, just don't look back. Somebody needs a lot to have. 
We use the term biblical worldview a lot around here. Have you ever wondered to yourself not only what does that mean, but when we say how many people hold to a biblical worldview, do they actually hold to a biblical worldview? Dr. George Barna is back today. He's the director of research uh, at the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center. It's an extended conversation we've been having over time about the American Worldview Inventory 2021. George, welcome back. Good to be with you as always, Carmen. So we have a fun approach to this conversation today, even though it's a really serious conversation. We're going to do the top 10 most prevalent, seductive, unbiblical ideas that are embraced by a lot of America adults today. So where should our list begin? Well, we could start, you know, right at the top where we've got such a huge proportion of people who say that having faith matters more than which faith you have. Now, of course, that's not a biblical perspective, but it is an American perspective. It's one that people feel comfortable with. And it's it's one of those ideas that has just settled in with so many people. We don't even question it anymore. We feel uncomfortable with an exclusive faith. We feel more comfortable in our culture today with something that's inclusive. So Christianity is willing to be inclusive, but of course, you have to do a few things like admit that you're a sinner, ask God to forgive you, embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're in. It's not a high bar. And yet, nevertheless, people are saying, well, yeah, you could do that, or you could pick any other faith. They're all of equal value. It doesn't matter. Well, or you could pick no faith at all. I mean, wouldn't that be fair in the conversation we're having in America today? So, So all roads lead to heaven, or maybe if you don't believe that there is a heaven, it doesn't really matter that you don't pick a road anyway. Um, For people who do believe that Jesus is the way, they then might on the side say, well, you know, he's he's my way, but maybe he's not everyone's way, or maybe he's everyone's way and you don't have to pick him, which would be what the universalists would say. Like, this is a complicated but really important point that this, there is a belief, even among the 6% of American Christians who we would regard as having a biblical worldview, there is still this seductive belief embraced by many who who would say there's this spiritually inclusive idea that, you know, if there's a there to get to, everybody's going to get there no matter which way they choose, which is clearly not a biblical idea. All right, what's next on our list? Well, uh, you know, I alluded to the fact that that a large proportion of Americans also believe that all faiths are of equal value you know, which goes hand in hand with it. It doesn't matter which faith you pick, just pick one or don't pick one, which in essence is saying really doesn't matter what you think or do or believe or how you act, just be you, which is kind of the way America does it. But, you know, if you want to move on from that, then we could look at things like the idea of karma. And this, of course, is an idea that's rooted in Eastern religions. It's kind of you get what you give, what goes around, comes around, all these different expressions we have. And most Americans feel very comfortable with that. And in fact, what's interesting to me about this is that you've got a third of the people who actually have a biblical worldview who embrace this as part of their worldview. And and some people have said to me, George, how's that possible? You said they have a biblical worldview. Yes, but remember, one of the other things that we found in the research is that nobody, I mean, I've interviewed tens and tens of thousands of people about their worldview. I have yet to find my first individual who has a pure worldview, no matter what it is, whether it's postmodernism, a biblical worldview, nihilism, secular humanism, Eastern mysticism, doesn't matter what the worldview is. 
we all tend to have that syncretistic blend, even if we have one particular worldview that dominates. So finding that a third of the people with a biblical worldview believe in karma once again speaks to the issue that even people who are devoted Christians often either don't get what the Bible's teaching or we're so beaten over the head by what our culture teaches that sometimes we fall prey to that. Yeah, and when we say that people have this sort of syncretistic additional belief in karma, uh, just to remind our listeners that's a that's a very Eastern religion or religious you know idea. Um, you you get what comes to you. You're getting what's coming to you. There's this right. There's a there's a fatalism to it, but also you give or you get what you give. Like there's is that right? So there's a practice involved there, um, much more so than a uh, grace-based belief in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of Christianity really is that if you embrace Christ as your Savior, you don't get what's coming to you. You know, we are sinners. We should be punished. You know, eternal damnation is what we've earned, what we deserve. And yet God, because of his love for us, says, no, here, I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to give you my son. All I'm asking you to do is love him, you know, and accept him and admit the fact that you're not him. You're not me. You're imperfect. You've sinned. You've broken my law, but I'm giving you a way out. So, you know, that's kind of the anti-karma approach. In karma, you, you get what you deserve is kind of an inescapable idea. Christianity gives you the way to escape. Okay. And then the next thing on this list is the dismissal of absolute truth. And I would feel like everything that we've talked about to this point relates to um, the fact that most people, even those who hold to a biblical worldview, most of them would then also dismiss absolute truth. Because if you don't dismiss absolute truth, then you have to believe in some absolutes. Yeah. And so here we are where two out of three Americans say there are no moral absolutes. You got six out of 10 who are saying the only kind of truth that exists is what you determine to be truth. Truth is not objective. It's subjective. It's personal. It's customized. And you got seven out of 10 Americans who rely on their feelings, their experiences, or the ideas taught to them or given to them by family and friends in order to help them decide what they think is right for themselves. Where is the Bible in all of this? Well, basically, you know, people have abandoned that. And, you know, the, the only a little less than one out of three people say that the Bible is their primary source of moral guidance. So you, you got most people who are saying, yeah, the Bible's a, a, a bestseller. It's a book that a lot of people like. It's not a bad book, but it certainly doesn't contain absolute moral truth. Hence, you see the moral chaos that we have in America. Hence, you see all the animosity of person toward person. Why? Because we don't know what's in the Bible, and when we do know what's in there, we choose not to follow it. Talking to Dr. George Barna from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, and we are talking today about outcomes and findings of the American Worldview Inventory. We're working down the top 10 list of seductively unbiblical ideas embraced by American adults. We'll be right back. 
right, George, let's pick up on our countdown list where we left off. Once we have dismissed absolute truth, uh, obviously our moral decision-making becomes very subjective up to, you know, the person, literally the days of the judges, doing what's right in our own eyes. Well, we do that, and, you know, it's because we feel like we're free agents. There's nothing to rein us in. There's nothing to control us. And, of course, that's one of the things that Americans love is control. And so if you can throw out this idea of any kind of boundaries, any kind of limitations, that enhances your capacity to be making all the decisions in your life without any of those restrictions that might come upon you from something such as the Bible. And then let's talk about, you know, continuing the conversation about behavior, like how this actually affects how we live. I mean, because ideas have consequences. We talk about that a lot. My next step in the conversation, though, is depends on whether or not I think people are fallen or basically good. And what did you find most people actually still believe? Well, this is maybe the most most seductive idea of all in many ways, because it's it's kind of like a domino game. If If you buy into this idea that people are basically good, then that changes the whole game. And and what we've got is 69%, about 7 out of 10 adults in America, who believe that people are basically good. And so you can look at a lot of the different Christian groups and say, well, certainly they understand the difference. Otherwise, why believe in Jesus Christ? And yet we find that 69% of the total adult population and 69% of born-again Christians not those who call themselves Christians, but those who say, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven, but only because I've confessed my sins and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Seven out of 10 of those people also believe that people are basically good. And then when we look at the individuals who have a biblical worldview, here we're looking at a majority of them, 52% of the people with a biblical worldview also believe that people are basically good. So when we try to figure out why doesn't Christianity have as much impact in our culture, why is it that a majority, literally a majority of Christians in America today do not share their faith in Christ with other people, uh, this has to be one of the cornerstones of what holds us back from being the full representation of Jesus to our culture. And it's really one of the saddest but most important things that we have to overcome in people's thinking. Okay, on that same note, so I was looking at these two different findings. People are basically good. 69% of all adults say, yeah, people are basically good. And then if you scroll down on the list, people are not born into sin or not inherently sinful and therefore do not need to be saved by Jesus Christ. We got 75% of all adults say people are not born into sin and therefore do not need to be saved by Jesus Christ. Is that possible? 75%? That is what we're finding, and just to support that kind of a number, we find that close to half of born-again Christians don't accept the idea that people are born into sin. These are people who are allegedly recognizing their own sin and how it debilitates them, and therefore they're relying on Jesus to save them from the consequences of it, and yet Almost half of them, 44%, are saying that, well, yeah, but people aren't really born into sin. That's a choice you make. That's something you slip or slide into, you know, but uh, you're, you're not inherently a sinner. Now, 
uh, Carmen, I would say that part of this goes back to our studies of what's being taught in churches around the country. And we've noticed that in the last quarter century in Protestant churches across the country, talking about sin has uh, become less and less of a topic that gets addressed. And so what happens? We fill that ideological vacuum, that theological vacuum of, yeah, what, who am I? What kind of person am I? What's the role of Christ in my life? And if we're not consistently being taught and embracing the idea that we are sinners, uh, you know, then it's it's very easy for us to say, well, no, we're not. We're basically good. We just make some mistakes along the way. And so, George, I think that when we talk about these next few things on this list, and just again, I'm talking with Dr. George Barna. We are talking about the top 10 most seductive unbiblical ideas embraced by Americans, findings of the American Worldview Inventory. Um, when we, okay, taking what we've talked about to this point, um, if I've dismissed absolute truth, I'm not relying on the Bible for uh, as a source of moral guidance. I have come to this place where I think, you know, faith is a choice and any faith is good. They're all of equal value. Um, downstream from that are then going to be um, behaviors and moral consequences in the culture. And I think that's, uh, we spend so much of our time focusing on, oh, you know, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. This latest thing has happened on the marriage front, or this latest thing has happened on the sexual identity front um, in terms of the culture. And we shouldn't be surprised, actually, that people who hold to unbiblical ideas about God and sin and the necessity of salvation and the Bible as the basis of God's revelation of moral guidance for us, once you've set all that aside, why wouldn't we be living in sexual anarchy and total brokenness? Well, and to that point, the interesting thing to me as we do our research is we discover that people don't see it as moral anarchy. They see it as normal moral behavior. It flows from the idea that I'm a good person. I'm the only one who can determine what's right for me. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. And it also relates to one of the other ideas on this list, which is that success is basically being happy or comfortable or good or fulfilling your potential. Those are the primary ways that Americans define success. And so what the Bible might consider to be sexual deviance, the typical American, based on his or her own feelings, which is where their source of truth comes from, might say, well, wait a minute, if I want to steal, if I want to lie, if I want to cheat, if I want to have sex outside of my marriage, if I want to have an abortion, if I want to do any of these things, and it advances my needs, it makes me feel good about myself, it brings happiness to me, then it's the right thing to do. Yeah, you're freaking our listeners out, but that's okay. Um, when when we get to the place where we are a law unto ourselves, there is no law outside of me. There is no law giver. I mean, we have reached the point of uh, cultural anarchy. Now, it could be that not every person or every family or every institution has arrived at that point, but it, short of revival in this nation, um, that is the direction that it's headed. Um, I want to talk about the what your findings related to accumulated personal wealth, because I think when we start talking about, you know, the expectations of the largest transfer of wealth ever generationally in America, people are going to be interested in this. 
Well, and essentially what we found is that most people do not believe that the wealth that we have influence over or the wealth that we control has anything to do with God's purposes. Most Americans would say, you know what? I've earned it. I deserve it. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want with it. Rather than thinking, you know what? I, if I look at myself realistically, I'm not capable of, first of all, amassing what I have. Secondly, of knowing what to do with it that's going to bring about the best outcomes. And, and therefore, I'm you know, really going to recognize that this is a gift from God. And what he's asking me to do is basically be his wealth manager here on earth. So if I have influence, if I have relationships, if I have great ideas, if I have money, if I have all kinds of different aspects of wealth on earth, I have to think about how can I invest it not for my good, but for the good of advancing God's purposes, because that's why I'm here on earth. I'm here to know, love, and serve God with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. And one of the ways I can do that is by applying these resources that he's literally entrusted to me to advance his kingdom. But that's not how Americans see it. Only 19% of Americans believe that the, the personal accumulation of wealth has been entrusted to them by God to manage for his purposes. All right, so as you're listening to all of this, I want you to ask yourself, is my identity and is my purpose grounded in who the Bible says I am and my relationship restored with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit? And do I understand that I am here on earth to glorify God and advance his kingdom purposes with all that I am and all that I have, all that God has set me as a steward over? Or are my ideas more, well, frankly, American than that? This conversation has been uh, fascinating, George. We're going to have to have another one next month. This has been the top 10 most seductive unbiblical ideas embraced by Americans. You can find it all in the American Worldview Inventory 2020 at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. George, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. We're going to catch up with our friend Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about what is happening with Christians around the globe. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You've got rules at home. You enforce them. And when one of your children crosses the line, they pay the consequences, right? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you're in a family, you deal with discipline issues. But I want to take just a moment to remind you of what's behind those rules and consequences. The root of discipline is this. Mom and dad, you are helping your child get to a place he wants to be. And you're keeping him from a place he doesn't want to end up. Next time you find yourself buried in the nitty-gritty daily details of enforcing rules at home, there's a purpose behind your actions. And discipline, combined with relationship, leads to a really good place. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, which is celebrating um, an auspicious anniversary Ruth, what is the anniversary we're celebrating with Mission Network News this year? 
30 years on the air. Whoop, whoop. That's yep. very exciting. Yep. That's very exciting. It's been really exciting so. to see what God has done. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, um, first of all, remind people what Mission Network News is and how to find it and why you're involved in it. Uh, well, Mission Network News is a news service that looks at the current events through the lens of the Great Commission. That's why we exist. We want to give people the stories that you're not necessarily going to hear in the mainstream media and give you a look at what God is doing through his people in spite of or through what is happening in those countries. And and that's partly why I got into it, because um, I came into it as a journalist. And uh, on it, to be honest, I came into it because the medical benefits were pretty good when I, when I came in. Um, and, and I was pregnant at the time and God opened a door uh, to a world that I didn't think I was very interested in. And then you became totally fascinated, and now you're like a hooked junkie. Yeah, yeah. You know, in a I good way. Think in I was a good way. Be one of those people, but I, I do pay attention to things that are going on in the world because I want to know what the body of Christ is doing in response. How they're being the hands and feet of Christ. How they're taking the opportunities of difficulty and turning it into something else because you know the Holy Spirit is moving. So if you were to visit Mission uh, Network News today, which you can find at missionnews.org, you would see headlines from India, like this one, Believers in India Prepare for Third Wave of Infections. You would see a headline related to China, China's latest persecution trend targets Christian kids. Um, And you would see headlines related to the Olympics going on right now. So uh, let's focus in on those headlines, Ruth, if we could. What's going on? Um, in terms of the Olympics in Tokyo being a catalyst to change Japan? You know, the last time you and I spoke, um, I brought this up because this was a, a, a really interesting shift that ministries had to do because of the changes that were going on uh, in Tokyo with regard to whether or not they were going to allow spectators. And uh, we talked about the fact that Asian Access had a pastor uh, the the Japanese director of Asian Access in in uh, for the country um, had a vision to have basically ten thousand new churches in Tokyo by 2024. And so his vision was within 10 years, ten thousand new churches, ten million Christians in Japan by 2024. And that just seems like an impossible reality because at the time that this pastor had that that mission stamped on his heart. Um, Japan was still widely regarded as kind of the the graveyard of missionaries. Missionaries go there and the ministries really struggle because people were not very open to the gospel. And, you know, what what, uh, Joe Hanley says is we serve a God who loves the world, the word impossible. So since this vision was laid out and the challenge was laid out, a lot of things have happened in Japan that have really brought attention to the country. One of them being, of course, that uh, the Olympics is bringing a lot of attention to Japan. So it is actually Japan's moment to be prayed for. Um, as these these church leaders, this network of church leaders is beginning to ramp up on what they're trying to do to share the gospel, to to start seeing those 10 million people come to Christ, to start planting those 10,000 churches. Um, at the website Japan One Million, like the number one, japan1million.com, there's a place where you can sign up to join a million hours of prayer. Uh, it's just a prayer vigil that's going on for Japan, and right now they've got 143,000 hours that are committed 
for a million hours, towards the million hours of prayer. Um, I really want to encourage people to, to really consider joining this because the Olympics is is a fun thing and you get to see some of the culture, but you don't really get to see the heart of the people there. And um, praying for the people, praying for the country will open that opportunity up. And um, and I want to encourage people to be part of this movement because as we see God move, as we see God work through uh, things like the triple disaster through the Olympics, through the Paralympics that are coming up. Um, we're going to see some really exciting things unfold, I think, in Japan as they lead uh, the rest of Asia into what's coming next for the body of Christ. Uh, also, the Jesus Film Project has joined in on this, and they've offered a 17-day virtual prayer journey that'll take you through a different country around the world uh, each day throughout the Olympics. So that's also something that's available. It's also available in American Sign Language. So I think these are opportunities for us to even engage with the Olympics in a way we've never done before. I just love it. I'm scrolling around um, right now on the Global Prayer Journey um, site that's posted at Athletes in Action, which is a ministry of crew, um, which you can link to directly um, from the article posted at Mission Network News. So if you if you go to Mission Network News and you find the Olympic Prayer Journey Begins Today article and you scroll down, then you can click the link to the Olympic Prayer Journey team um, and from there, you can not only join in today, um, where the journey continues in India, um, but you can go watch uh, prior day videos um, and you can check in uh, really on the lives of athletes or the stories of athletes from some of these countries around the world. It is a fascinating window into the experience of athletes, which is so different in other countries than it is from Olympic athletes here in the United States uh, and the support that they receive and what it requires, not only from them, but from their families um, and the sacrifices that they make to participate uh, and, the, and the real uh, honor that they experience in being able to travel outside their country, many of them for the only time in their entire life when they will have the privilege and opportunity to do such a thing. Um, so opportunities to be praying for the people of Japan and outreach there and opportunities to be praying for athletes and their home countries, um, really great prayer initiatives this year related to the Olympics. And you can engage with the ministries uh, that are making those things happen. Um, we're going to take a very brief break. And when we come back, Ruth and I are going to continue talking about, we're going to talk about a couple of really interesting good news stories around the world, outreach to uh, deaf individuals in the Middle East. And then something happened in Lebanon that's just, well, frankly, so cool. It's happening in a truck. Yep. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I see you dressed in white. Everyone made right. I see you rose in blue. At the side of you also. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, tell us about this outreach to the deaf in the Middle East. This is a really neat ministry. Dora International is Deaf Reaching Deaf for Christ. And they've been involved with a lot of things that I would say is like Bible translation. Um, and what they're, they've done is, um, well, technically this isn't a new project. It's been underway for actually 10 years. But they are doing a Bible, sign language Bible translation that will allow more deaf people in the Middle East to know more about God. When you consider that the deaf 
collectively are one of the world's largest unreached people groups. This has just been something that's needed to happen. And uh, it's only been recently that the technology has caught up enough for this to actually kind of accelerate to the point where we're seeing the work that's happening now through Door International. Um, one of the things that they needed to do, though, um, was to kind of utilize the I guess the translation, the, the methodology uh, for being able to produce this uh, and and really get this uh, organized uh, through the chronological Bible translation process. Um, it's it's the way that uh, Door International translates the Bible in a storytelling manner that communicates God's word effectively to the uh, the the deaf. Um, so it uh, you know it takes the the stories that we know in the Bible, and it communicates them um, in a narrative form, I guess is the best way to put it. And each chronological Bible translation has like 110 biblical narratives that go all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And then each section is broken down through evangelism, discipleship, and church planting so that this the Bible translation can be easily used, obviously, for things like home groups, uh, Bible studies, children's classes, you know, the things that you do to disciple uh, new believers. This is a neat project. I don't really know that they've got a timeline for a finish on this, but this is something that's going to allow them to finish at an accelerated pace. And then because it's going to be um, reaching out to the Middle East, it means it's going to be able to hit a lot of countries that weren't previously available. I think that's a neat story because this is this is really um, a, a a breakthrough for Bible translation. Yeah, I so I love the approach. Um, it's if you think about the way that a person comes to understand not just individual stories, but the storyline, the full scope of the storyline, the redemptive arc, the narrative, um, the narrative of who God is and what God's doing—not just right here, right now, but uh, in the scope of all of created order from uh, beginning to end. Uh, this chronological Bible translation approach is really awesome. For those of you who are listening and not familiar with the chronological Bible translation, there are 110 biblical narratives from Genesis to Revelation um, accompanied by an introduction that gives a context and then more information about the passage so that a person could then go back and read it for themselves. And so um, this is this fantastic. I mean, Ruth, you and I both know that the only evidence that I actually know a story is if I can teach it to someone else. And this methodology is awesome because the, it's interesting to use the word here, here, but the deaf person hears the story in their heart language, which is sign language. Um, they hear the story and then they learn the story and then they teach the story. And that hear, learn, teach is actually the methodology that's that's used in my church um, with little kids in terms of whether or not they've actually like have they not just understood a story, but have they comprehended it and apprehended it for themselves. And the only way that you know that somebody has apprehended it, taken hold of it, is that they are able to teach it to someone else. And with kids, we do it, you know, so that one group of older children teaches it to a group of younger children. But in this case, um, a, a deaf person hears the story in their heart language, sign language, and then tells the story, repeats the story to someone else. And so it becomes an evangelism tool, a discipleship tool, and ultimately a church planting tool. It's just, it's fantastic. So if you guys want to read more about it, um, the Door International 
Link is in the Mission Network News article on this incredible outreach. New Door International Project will introduce Mideast Deaf to God. It is available right now at missionnews.org. All right, and then let's talk about uh, this good news story out of um, out of Lebanon. I'll just tell you, Ruth, when I read this, I was reminded of um, efforts that I have seen here in the United States in the in the midst of COVID, where people have been very very creative about how they are going to continue to do things like Sunday school or Bible study or VBS. And here, some of the adaptations were, all right, let's do sidewalk Sunday school, let's do backyard Bible study, um, or let's do God's garage VBS. Um, In Lebanon, it has taken on um, a a different approach among refugees. Talk with us about that. Well, the approach is they're going to take school to the kids um, because it's just— you know, when you, you're dealing with the kind of the scope of the crisis in Lebanon, um, it just isn't getting better. I mean, right now, the go- there is no government in Lebanon. They have a new guy they've named to form uh, a new government. He's a billionaire. He's a businessman. You know, people are just kind of waiting, waiting to see because this has been a promise since things started to fall apart back in 2018. Cost of food has soared by 700 percent over the last two years, and the prices are still going up. Paychecks are going down. Um, people are lining up now just to get your basic supplies just to survive. And I think, you know, as they they see uh, the street view of the crisis, the moment of truth is approaching and nobody knows what that's going to look like. So when you have a ministry that is still trying to make sure that the refugee kids who are at the bottom of the totem pole in this hierarchy of craziness that's going on in Lebanon, it means that they're going to be the least resourced of anybody. And um, ministries are there to try to stand in the gap because we don't want the, the you know, the, the folks that are stuck who have had to leave their countries because of war to be just completely off the radar. Um, so a ministry like Tent Schools International, they typically set up a tent in a refugee camp and then have school there. But because so many kids were having a hard time getting to their school, they bought a truck and they loaded all the supplies on the truck and they took the school to the kids. Uh, I think that's really a creative way to do things because everything is so spread out in these refugee camps that uh, it wasn't safe for kids to actually try to make their way to the schools. In fact, we were hearing stories about um, kidnappers and and, uh, black market traffickers who were taking kids off the street and they would just disappear. They were were on their way to school or coming home from school and they would just disappear, not only with human trafficking issues, but also uh, organ donation. Well, not organ donation. It wasn't a donation. It was a black market organ uh, situation. And these kids are being used for that purpose. Um, So when you're talking about the safety concerns about that, and then you've got this other issue of just absolute chaos, Um, taking school to kids to make sure that they're still getting an education when their their education has been so severely disrupted is just kind of, it's an obvious thing, but it's a stroke of brilliance as well. So this is Tent Schools International. Um, They've run into a few snags with this, though, obviously, you know, when you're dealing with the the scope of crisis here, Um, the truck is registered but they may not be able to get it to go places because they can't get the fuel for it. Um, so they don't know for sure if the guy who's actually driving the truck is going to be able to get enough gasoline to get to all of the refugee camps because people are basically waiting hours in line for everything and there's not enough of anything. So they're asking us to be praying 
about the provision for that kind of thing that as they bring the education, as they bring the teachers, as they bring the lessons and supplies to the kids, they're also bringing food. They're also bringing as what they can for um, uh, medicine, basic stuff like aspirin. Um, and everything has become a luxury in Lebanon at this point. So um, they have to be able to secure some of these supplies. It's very tricky. Um, and it, it's it's one avenue for ministry, letting people know that they haven't been forgotten, that they're coming, they're being met by people in the name of Jesus Christ. So be praying about this because this is a great opportunity. Ruth, we're going to be praying uh, with you, along with you, for the people of Lebanon, uh, the people of the Middle East being reached through um, this uh, New Door International project, the people of Japan, the people around the globe through um, through the Olympic prayer journey, the people of India, the people of China, so many places where you at Mission Network News are helping us to see into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ and how God is both using them and the challenges that they face um, in in places and spaces that, frankly, we can scarcely imagine. So thank you, as always, for what you do day in and day out um, and uh, celebrating 30 years of Mission Network News on the air. We really appreciate it. Thanks for celebrating with us. Absolutely. We'll be right back. So one of the things that Ruth said uh, in the midst of that conversation uh, about Lebanon was the moment of truth is approaching. And I wrote that down. The moment of truth is approaching. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean today for you? The moment of truth is approaching. What's going to happen at the moment of truth? I mean, when we, I guess we casually think about that phrase, we're talking about an occasion when something important happens that maybe tests us, tests something in our lives that's going to have an effect on the future. It's that moment of truth. It's that turning point might be one way of thinking about that. It would be a, a point of clarity or, uh, you know, where lesser things fall away and we're, you know, we're facing a moment of truth. What does it mean for you that the moment of truth is approaching? What would it look like for you today in a conversation with someone who's living pretty casually in relationship to uh, the reality of God and and the reality of sin. What would it look like for you today to just maybe even surface in the conversation the reality that the moment of truth is approaching? I mean, the moment of truth for those of us who understand uh, that truth is derivative, that truth is uh, authoritative, that truth is divine, that truth is absolute, that truth is objective, that truth is singular, that truth is a person, that that truth is powerful, that truth is determinative, that the moment of truth um, is about coming face to face with the reality of the one who is the the way and the truth and the life. It's a it's about the moment of truth, the moment of clarity, where I get really serious about who God is and what that means. So the moment of truth is approaching. Let's introduce that in the conversations of the day. There's another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.